Gang, you know, I'm a little bit depressed. Football, yeah, it's over. But the NBA, college basketball, the NHL, they're in full swing. Baseball's ramping up. The only place you should be betting on these sports is at betonline.ag. BetOnline, it even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. BetOnline has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine, and it's pretty fun. And of course, the 24-hour online casino. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, guys. Hope everyone's doing well. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Hardwick.life, like Hardwick.com, but dot .life instead. It was cheaper, I got to admit it, and it sounds kind of cool. Hardwick Life, foundational elements for a fulfilled life. We've got an exciting array of new performance products out now to complement our other pharmaceutical-grade supplement line that includes brain life, gut life, joint life, foundation life. I take them all every single day. I put my body through the ringer. You guys know that, and as they say, you do the crime, you serve the time. So I got to be extra careful with what I put into my body and what I ask of my body. And I got to go above and beyond. And I just think preventative maintenance goes a long way as we're all learning right now. We have hand selected these products. They include Build Life, an incredibly pure New Zealand grass-fed whey protein. Every morning you'll see I add a scoop of Build to pump. It's a pre-workout, pre-combat sport energy formula designed with cognition and neuroprotection in mind as it's got L-theanine, caffeine, creatine, glutathione, all in a really convenient blend. Boop, a scoop of that in there. And now I'm off to my workout. There's so many goodies, including plenty of vitamins and minerals. And we got a great new weight management tool in Fuel Life, which is a small meal replacement, it includes New Zealand grass-fed whey protein, the same stuff. And I love a couple of scoops of that around lunchtime with a teaspoon of matcha green tea. I highly, highly recommend these products. If I were forced to choose one uh, right now, maybe I would take Pump Life. Just got so much good stuff in there. We can't wait for you to try. And I hope you've signed up for our newsletter. Not only you get some fun and motivating football stories from me and some practical, easy, super healthy recipes from Jamie. We've also brought in a new team member to Hardwick Life. It's Casey Thomas registered dietitian. He's the performance nutritionist for UCLA basketball. He's writing a weekly column for us along with answering your questions and even taking one-on-one -on -one clients. So if that's up your alley, if you need additional help, we are doing our best to provide that for you. So Casey's, he's a great dude, incredible background, including clinical research, an expert peer reviewer for scientific articles, and he's a published author. And I got to say, he is a fabulous, fabulous writer. You're going to love his practical science-backed advice. So sign up for those newsletters, please, at Hardwick Life. Oh, also, if you subscribe, you're now getting 20% off of your products that you purchase. So be a subscriber. All right. One thing I put into my body since the company was founded in 2017, it's Bub's Naturals Collagen Protein and MCT Oil Powder. One way or another, I've used them religiously. I swear by it. You're going to love it. As have so many people who've taken me up on the recommendation. I get Before I left San Diego, I ran into a lady at the supermarket. She stopped me and goes, I love Bub's. And I couldn't help but smile and be like, hey, I do too, lady. They're fantastic. They're 100% NSF certified. They donate 10%. 10% to charity. So if you're in San Diego, 
Buzz products now available at all Barron's markets. Stop in, pick some up, see how conveniently health can fit into your life. And if you don't have a Barron's near you or don't want to go to the store right now, I get it. Order it online, bubsnaturals.com. Use the code HARDWICK20 at bubsnaturals.com. They've got a bunch of good stuff on their website too. And how about this? Today on the show, we're going to be talking about peak sleep performance with Dr. Shane Criado. One of the most important variables to optimize your performance is sleep. For too long, sleep has been neglected or is only addressed when there are real issues, clear problems. But you've all by now heard of sleep hygiene, the do's and don'ts of your bedtime routine. But what about when we travel and we have to perform the next day at a time that doesn't fit into our chronotype? The hell's a chronotype? How does a high-fat diet disrupt sleep? Ooh, I should be careful there. When should my last meal be before bed? What's the word on sleep medication? Is it effective or even addictive? How can I come down after a big performance? Getting to sleep afterwards, that's critical. Sleep op- optimization is the last frontier in peak athletic performance. It was this realization that led Dr. Shane Criado to write the book, Peak Sleep Performance for Athletes, the cutting-edge sleep science that will guarantee a competitive advantage. I highly recommend it. It's well-written. You'll hear me talk about it in the interview with Dr. Criado. He wrote this book to equip the reader with the sleep strategies of the greatest athletes in the world so you can boost your brain health and performance in all aspects of your life. It's a really powerful episode, I find, with some really useful, actionable information. We all have to perform at our highest levels, not just the athletes, former athletes, whatever. Whether we are stay-at-home moms and dads, competitive athletes, executives in the corporate world, Doctors, surgeons, lawyers, whatever, your kids, spouses, teammates, coworkers, they deserve your best. And if you're a coach or a parent, your athletes and your kids deserve the best information on sleep available. Well, here we are. Your best and their best starts in bed with recovery and preparation for the days and weeks ahead. Lots of great information from a super sharp mind on this episode. Follow Dr. Criado at peak sleep performance on Instagram or get in touch with them directly at shanecriado.com. That's S-H-A-N-E-C-R-E-A-D-O.com. Been a busy day seeing patients? Yeah. Yeah. Patients all morning starting at 8 a.m. today. But that's oh. the deal. So uh, it's all good. It's all good. Really happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Today. Oh, gosh. Thank you. Thank you for the work. The book was, it's tremendous. I mean, you see it right over your shoulder. I got it on my phone. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for reading. Great. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, tremendous. I mean, you want to talk about something that I wish I had as a tool when I was an athlete. I don't know. I, I'm just thinking back to everything that I read in the book and then everything I did when I was competing at the highest level and how I was sabotaging myself. It's crazy. It's crazy to think of. I mean, uh, well, as we get into it a little bit, I mean, I'll tell you, it's like, I was up at like 4.15 every morning and trying to beat everybody into the gym and work longer, work harder. And also at the end of the night, of course, you want to spend some time with your significant other and you want to be there for her. And so you're burning it at both ends, but then you're just really limiting your earning potential, your recovery, your performance, all of it. It's crazy. Yeah, it really is. And I think the most important thing is that people just are not aware of these things or they don't talk about it. They want quick fixes. But if you know you can naturally boost your testosterone, your growth hormone, your performance, your speed, peak power output, 
why wouldn't you engage in these simple practices? How you can actually improve in your sleep, literally. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. So doc, before we get started, if you don't mind, give a little bio so that people meeting you for the first time, get an understanding of who you are and what you do. Sure. So I'm Shane Criado. I'm an MD. I'm a board certified in psychiatry and sleep medicine. And I specialize in sports performance, sports psychiatry, and sleep medicine for athletes. So I've worked with several athletes on mental health and sleep performance. I'm with the NBA Players Association, the U.S. Olympic Committee, the International Society for Sports Psychiatry, and the PGA Tour Europe. And I also work at Amon Clinics in Chicago. Do it all. That, that's, that's some high level. So who are your patients on a daily basis? Are we talking to these athletes and all these different organizations and different sports? Is that part of your patient base? Yeah, so most of my patients involve brain health, functional brain imaging, respect imaging, optimizing them wherever they're at, whether they're you know, suffering from dementia to, to elite athletes and CEOs. So in, in my sports work, I work with individual athletes most of the time. And I've also been speaking to a few people affiliated with certain national teams and organizations. Um, for example, last week I spoke to one of the main uh, trainers for the Indian national women's cricket team and India is big Huge. on it. the number one sport there. So there is more and more interest from organizations at that level, looking at ways in which we can address sleep. So me in my role uh, on the board for the international society for sports psychiatry, we're now beginning to, to push the needle forward and say, okay, how can we reach out to organizations decision makers because most of the time when i did work with an athlete it's usually an individual athlete who comes to me because of a sports psychiatry issue or performance difficulties they've had a concussion or they have sleep difficulties but where i am at and and you know you've read the book so you know is we should not wait for a problem before we start intervening in terms of sleep you didn't wait to have an injury before you started physical training right you you didn't exactly. do that you always want to optimize, be the best that you can be when it comes to nutrition, training, mental conditioning, coaching. But sleep as a pillar of performance, of athletic performance, is, is left until there's an issue, until there's a major issue. And by that time, it involves kind of like digging you out of a hole and trying to, trying to get back to normal sleep, let alone optimal sleep. So once people start realizing that, that sleep can be optimized, used as a weapon, as a competitive advantage, then there's more buy-in. So we're moving the needle forward. So as I said, the Indian um, Women's Cricket Association is very interested. The Australian Football League, I'm talking to the chief medical officer there. He's also a sports psychiatrist like I am. And we're putting together some sleep guidelines for that league in Australia. So there's some organizational interest, but really it's not close to where it needs to be. And this is, this is simple stuff. As you as you must know, right? Yeah, it's it's simple, but I and I do I feel like the important part is getting to the decision makers, yes. right? Getting to the coaches, getting to the general managers of these organizations. I I think there's such competitive advantages to be gained if a team can say, "Hey, we are going to start constructing our daily routine and schedule and travel habits and all of that around the athlete's sleep cycle 
instead of, hey, we need to get this many plays run in practice. We need you to lift this much weight. We need to, because all of those things don't matter as much if you're not getting the proper rest and the recovery and the repair and the hormonal boosts that happen from all this. And when decision makers don't understand how important sleep is, then they, they're really setting everybody else up for failure, for injuries. It's, it's not good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's like you're, you're going to a destination in, in an airplane and you don't load it with enough jet fuel to get there. What are you going to do? <laughs> Glide to the runway and try and make it down in one piece? It's just not going to cut it. And you're exactly right. You're actually sabotaging yourself if you don't get that recovery sleep. And it's not just the number of hours. I think about it in terms of sleep cycles, and I could go into that a little bit if you'd like. Yeah. But each one needs different amounts of sleep. Someone may be a, a morning bird or a night owl. And people might say, oh, well, I can just wake up a little earlier because practice is early. But no, if you know that you're a morning bird, your peak performance tends to be late morning and your training schedules are not synchronized with that or your competition times are not synchronized with that, you can have a big performance disruption. There is actually studies looking at this. There's hard data, Nick. For example, if, if you're a, a night owl and you have an early morning game, your performance could be 26% less than you, your performance if you had to perform that evening. So your peak performance as a night owl will be around 11 hours after you wake up. Now, with my athletes who, who travel across time zones, there were, there were a few of them that were going to go to Japan for the Olympics this summer. Sadly, that didn't happen. Right. But we talk about planning their entire schedule around their training. Unfortunately, we can't right now change their competition timings or, their, or certain training timings because they might train with teams or other people. But what we can do is say, okay, this is my off-season schedule. This is my pre-season schedule. This is my in-season schedule. These are the games. This is the, these are the timings I need to work out and train. So how can we shift their rhythms so, uh, so that they arrive in their destination like Tokyo at peak performance without suffering from jet lag? How can we strategically nap? How can we extend their sleep knowing that there's going to be a period of sleep loss because someone just can't sleep on a plane, for example? What are all the things within our control? And if we can boost their performance in each of those domains by even one or 2%, that's huge in the elite sports world because that's going to afford them maybe a 10 or 20% improvement overall. Yeah, it's, it's wild to think about when you talked about reducing your performance by 26%. And I always thought this, I didn't really know this was a thing. I thought I had just kind of trained myself into it. But when you talk about in the book, and you mentioned chronotypes and is somebody a night owl or is somebody a early morning bird? Like I'm an early morning guy. I just like being up early. I like going to bed early. Thankfully, my wife is the same way and we're on the same schedule. I, but I always thought, and this is wild in the, in the NFL, like most times we play one o'clock games on a Sunday and being a, a morning bird, that was easy for me. That was, I got my best performances. I was always on schedule, but then the night games are the really important ones, right? The Sunday night game, the Monday night game, the Thursday night game, playoff games are always at night, it seemed like. And I always just felt like, 
I had been in my peak window. And then by the time that five o'clock or eight o'clock game rolled around, I was just out of it. I was just like, I couldn't be at my best. How can, how could I have set myself up better for those situations? Say we're traveling across the country. We're going to play in Boston to take on the New England Patriots. It's going to be an eight o'clock Eastern time game. When I came from San Diego, on the yeah. West Coast. We get there Friday. We're playing on Sunday, and it's a night game, and it's the most important game I've ever played in. How could I have put myself in a state of mental and physical arousal to be at my height? Okay. So if you're an early morning bird, you're taking a flight from San Diego to the East Coast. So they're basically three hours ahead of you, right? So what happens is essentially when it's um, 1 a.m. over there, it's now 10 p.m. where you're at, which means that maybe around your bedtime. So essentially, you're forced to stay up longer, push yourself past your peak sleep phase, basically your deep, your deep sleep where you get all your growth hormone in and all that good stuff. Yeah. You're expected to push through and be awake. The problem with that is it's not just before the game, but also after the game because your adrenaline is through the roof, your cortisol is surging, your testosterone is on fire. So it's going to be super hard for you to actually fall asleep. So basically what happens is you're actually inducing jet lag in yourself through forcing yourself through that period in the evening. For my athletes who have a once in a while evening game, what I work with them on is, okay, if you have a two hour flight or three hour flight, schedule that. And let's assume that people can't sleep well on flights anyway. Right. It's cramped quarters. You're a six foot four guy. You're, you're a big guy. You'd probably be be cramped even if you're in first class, that it's as dry as the Sahara Desert on, on board a plane. So humidity, um, hydration is a huge factor. Being cramped, being in an awkward position, you're gonna need to be stretched out, relaxed, and you need to get the blood flow going again. So what I advise my patients to do in such situations is this. Keep your wake up time. You're an early morning bird, stay up, wake up at the same time every single day so that you don't constantly chase the day, feel like your jet lag. Okay. Number two, quickest travel possible, most comfortable travel possible by plane. Okay. I'd say travel by plane around the morning time. So that's kind of like your peak stuff. You're doing everything. You're alert. So you're not going to be dozing inadvertently on the plane, which would sabotage your rhythms once again. When you do arrive in your destination, if you feel like you're to make make it to the airport a little earlier, or you feel like you're going to not sleep well that night. Let's see. It's let's say it's an 8 p.m. game over there, and you're going to be up till maybe 12 a.m. over there, 1 a.m. over there. So you're going to lose out on a good three hours of sleep or so, right? Right. I would say then, Nick, early afternoon, like maybe 1 p.m. over there or 12 p.m. over there. Um, I'd require you to take a three-hour nap. Oh wow! Hours. It's because people say, oh, no, it's going to sabotage your nighttime sleep. No, that doesn't count when it comes to elite athletes and, in, and when it comes to making up your total sleep need. I think about sleep not in terms of hours, but in terms of sleep cycles of one and a half hours each or 90 minutes each. Because that's how long it takes for a typical sleep cycle going between shallow sleep to deep sleep to dream sleep. And then the cycle repeats. So if you're missing out on one or two sleep cycles a particular night, you can make up for that. 
during the day. And why did I say early afternoon? Because when we look at someone's natural internal rhythms, we find that, yeah, melatonin peaks at night, but there's also a small peak around 12 or 1 p.m. every day. That's why we feel kind of sleepy, especially after we've had a big lunch. And then the second slight surge in melatonin is around 4 p.m. in the evening. So we can actually use those windows, expand those windows to get a strategic nap in to make up for a loss or an anticipated loss okay. of a sleep cycle or two. So when you do that, like, guess what? You've, you've slept, say, from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. The game is at 8. You probably get some training and workouts, warm-ups in a couple of hours before that. You've got to make it to the stadium. So two or three hours before you're supposed to start warming up, get into peak performance, I don't want you to be waking up out of a nap one or two hours before that. I want you to be waking up at least three hours before yeah. physical training, anything getting into, into, into the zone. I don't want that to be compromised. I want you to be perfectly alert and awake. And I'm, I'm not a fan of getting 40-minute or 60-minute naps either because if you do that, you're going to wake up out of a deeper stage of sleep. You won't complete a full sleep cycle, so I'm sure you – You've experienced this as well. Oh, you have yeah. a nap 40 minutes, 60 minutes, you might feel like crap. You might feel worse than you would if you had a whole sleep cycle in. So we're just working with your rhythms there, creating windows of opportunity, getting the strategic naps to make your total sleep need if we average it out over the course of a week or so, and then go from there. Now, some athletes do it in extreme ways. They, for example, Cristiano Ronaldo, that soccer player, from Portugal oh, yeah. is known to, yeah, he's known to, to have 90 one and a half hour naps five times a day. So he just strategically does that. So it makes a lot of sense for him, right? Because with the premier leagues and, and the European leagues, when they're traveling constantly, he can just get a strategic nap in, in chunks and he's not sleep deprived in the long term. Wow. So really when people say you can't make up for a sleep deficit, you can. And you, you can, and you can, I guess, prepare for an upcoming sleep deficit. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and you need to be strategic about it. You can't just say, I'm just going to sleep in today because then again, you're, you're sabotaging your success, right? Because you're going to wake up late one day, early one day. We need to understand how melatonin surges at night, how your growth hormone peaks in the first half of the night when you're getting deep sleep, how your stress hormones, your cortisol starts rising early morning, how your testosterone levels kick in around 8 a.m. as well. When we know those things, we can shift our rhythms really, really well. And, and that leads up to something else. Yeah, sleep deficit in the long term is really hard to make up for. Um, if, if you as an elite athlete need 12 hours of sleep in a 24-hour period, LeBron James says he needs 12 hours. Roger Federer says he needs 12 hours. But you're only getting nine hours. You think, you know what? All my friends are getting seven hours. I'm getting nine hours. I'm great. You're losing out on three hours every single night. And every week you're losing out on 21 hours of sleep. How can you make that up? It's very difficult. But if there's certain days, one or two days a week or one or two nights a week, where you're going to lose out on that sleep or you're anticipating loss, yeah. You can make up for it through strategic napping, like I described. 
And, and there's also sleep extension where um, even 30 minutes, even 30 minutes of extending sleep. Stanford University has done a lot of sleep extension studies. It's super hard to get the sleep deprivation studies in athletes because obviously you don't want to compromise their performance. The teams will hate you forever. The athletes will hate you. So they do sleep extension studies. And we found that um, it improves their mental well-being, functioning, um, mental resilience, free throw percentages by 9%, wow. 3.4 percentage by 9.2%. Swimmers showed 17% improvements in starting times. Football players that got 30 minutes more sleep every night dropped one, uh, 0.12 seconds off the 40-yard dash time. Split-second decision-making increases by 4.3%. So these, these are big margins. And I know for someone who doesn't work with elite athletes, who isn't an elite athlete, they might think, well, what is 0.12 seconds off my 40-yard dash time? But that could mean, mean a major, major difference in making a team, getting cut from a team, losing a big game. And that's big, especially when it comes to Look at the Olympics, like the Beijing Olympics 2008. Oh. Michael Phelps and Miller Kavich, right? One hundredth of a second. One hundredth? Yeah, one hundredth of a second in, in the butterfly. Yeah, I so mean... You can improve your performance in, in each of those measures. And hell, if you could get a 17% improvement as a swimmer in your starting times, would you need that 1% improvement to get the gold medal? And we saw that in other sports at the Beijing Olympics too. The difference between the fourth place finisher in the women's 100 meter and the gold medal was a 1% difference. That's, that's wild, isn't it? Here, okay, so it's, it's kind of funny because everyone really likes to make the comparison of themselves, the general population folks with athletes or like special warfare operators. But you point out in the book, it's not necessarily the case, but I would say, I, you know, I just did a business podcast on preparing yourself mentally and physically for a super important sales meeting, or if you're a surgeon or something that's got kind of a heightened state where you've got to perform at your absolute best to land the deal or to have that patient come out with the results that you were hoping for, or you're a lawyer and you're doing a trial case. I mean, there's so many things where you have to really perform above and beyond what the standard general population folk would if you're in that realm that it's wildly competitive. So I, I would argue with you a little bit. It's like, yes, I understand that most humans aren't physically the same or wired the same as high level athletes. But there is and in the in the case that I would make is that if you get good sleep, if you're managing yourself, if you're eating a good diet, if you're, if you're really trying to be at your best, and I know a lot of people out there aren't high level athletes, but they are trying to be at their best. This is wildly critical. Sleep is wildly critical. I agree with you a hundred percent. And that's what I do with, with every single person I work with, Nick, whether they're a CEO of a billion dollar corporation or whether it's my lead athletes or anybody who just wants to get better dealing with really bad mental health or sleep issues. I don't just want to normalize their lives. I want to optimize them. I want to get them to be the best version of themselves that they can be because it's not just them, right? It's their loved ones. It's their kids, it's right. their parents, friends, it's their work. 
And there's independent studies as well that look at work performance, look at reaction times. We, we've seen that medical interns who have to work 24-hour shifts, they commit 36% more serious medical errors that can result in death. Wow. And it, when I was an intern, yeah, we had these 26-hour shifts too. And my, one of my supervisors, one of the professors there, he said, well, in my day, we'd have these 72-hour shifts. And he's thinking to myself, well, okay, it, it can be a badge of honor, but it can also destroy your brain and, and, and cause you to have an increased risk of dementia, heart attacks, strokes, cancer. Um, the WHO has now designated shift work as a probable carcinogen with direct correlations with colon cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, direct correlations with dementia, heart attacks, strokes, high blood pressure, DNA fragmentation, the, the end caps of your DNA actually start um, getting smaller. It's gonna make you age quicker. Just keeping the, the sports performance piece aside for a second, when you look at every aspect of your life, your life expectancy, the quality of your life and risk of diseases, fatal accidents in this country, a lot of them because of drowsy driving, when I say a lot of them, I mean, around 6,400 fatal accidents every year in the U.S. alone. Due to drowsy driving. Due to drowsy driving. No kidding. Yeah, I know, I know that sounds weird, but if you think about it, I hope none of our, our listeners today have, have dozed off or, or nodded off the wheel. But if you have, then you'll know exactly what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're driving at 65 miles per hour, you're driving around 95 feet per second. And when it, you nod, it's actually a micro nap. So your brain gets three to five seconds of sleep, just that nod. And that's basically you're driving asleep 300 to 400 feet asleep. So that's how those accidents happen. And there's more studies there. They've actually compared people who've had a certain number of alcoholic drinks to number of hours of sleep lost. And they've, when they quantify that, they say getting six hours of sleep is like consuming two or three alcoholic beverages. Four hours of sleep, like five or six alcoholic beverages. Two hours of sleep, seven or eight alcoholic beverages, and so on. Of course, your reaction times will reduce. With one night of sleep deprivation, your reaction time drops 300%. Yeah, there will be fatal accidents. People are dying every single day because of sleep deprivation, not just because of accidents, but because of all the consequences, Nick, like dementia, cancers, heart attacks, strokes. And when we think about the most common causes of death in this country, we think about, okay, heart disease, number one, right? And accidents, diabetes, cancer, dementia, all of those are directly linked to sleep problems. So if we can mitigate some of the sleep problems, diagnose people with sleep apnea early before their heart gives out on them and before they end up with dementia. We could actually have cost reductions in overall healthcare, improved performance, less absenteeism. Literally, sleep apnea alone costs this country $200 billion a year. So add all those other diseases up, you extrapolate it over time, easily over a trillion dollars a year in savings. Just Tell keep me about, the athlete point aside, right? So right. This, this is big. 
Tell me about sleep apnea, because one of the stories you told in your book was particularly alarming. It was about a football player who was waking up in the middle of the night and he was kind of having these like sleepwalking episodes and he was going to the, the kitchen and he was going to the pantry and he's grabbing snacks and a trail of crumbs to and from the bedroom. And, and then you brought him in for a sleep study and he ended up waking up due to the sleep apnea over a hundred times. A hundred times in the middle of the night, having disrupted sleep. How, I mean, when, when you think about that and you hear, and there's like stories of Reggie White had really bad sleep apnea and he died in his early forties. And you think about some of the bigger men that have played football and you know, what their sleep looks like, what, what kind of effects, how do people, first off, when should people get checked for sleep apnea? How would they know if they've got disordered sleep? And then what are kind of the, the fallout effects of that? Okay. That is an excellent question. And it's a little complicated, but I'll try and keep it as simple as possible. Okay. First up, sleep apnea. There's a couple of different types of sleep apnea. Most of us think of an old middle-aged uh, obese guy who snores and his, and his wife hates him and wants to suffocate him once in a while because we're right. sleeping, right? But that doesn't apply to athletes. How many athletes are over the age of 50, are obese, have really big necks? And no, I mean, unless you're, you're a sumo wrestler or, right. or unless you're a really well-built guy, it's, it's, it's really hard for you to meet those initial screening criteria. So a lot of athletes, are not even diagnosed with sleep apnea. The docs really don't know to look for it because when they look through that checklist, those screening criteria, those screening criteria were made for middle-aged or elderly, Caucasian, obese males before surgeries. Okay, that's why that screening tool was designed. But I've diagnosed plenty of patients with sleep apnea who are well-built, runners, <laughs> you know, competing, like trying to make it to the Olympics, who don't meet any of those screening criteria. So the most important thing to remember is, if you are not waking up refreshed, or if you're feeling sleepy during the day, that's a concern right off the bat. Now, it might be inadequate sleep, the quantity may be less, and you can try getting more sleep and see if you're waking up refreshed then and see if you're feeling alert throughout the day. But if that's not the case, then I think about qualitative sleep issues, not quantitative. Then I think about things like sleep apnea or seizures in your sleep. And that's as far as I'd go when it comes to to testing for sleep apnea or other sleep conditions that get more complicated, like seizures while somebody's sleeping. Right. So with this guy, the patient that you were telling me uh, about just now, the one I write about in my book, yeah, he was okay. He was snoring and he was waking up and going to the kitchen, sleep eating. And that could be seizures, that could be sleep apnea. So he needed an in lab sleep study. Although he was relatively young, he didn't meet all those criteria. And lo and behold, he was stopping breathing 102 times every hour while asleep. So sleep apnea can be obstructive where the airway closes off. The tongue falls back, and so your brain is to wake up multiple times during the night to breathe and get the oxygen going, get the muscles to start breathing again. That's going to cause 
sleep fragmentation or disruption. And it's also going to cause less oxygen to go to your brain. And the same areas of the brain that are damaged in concussions, primarily the frontal lobes and the temporal lobes. I know you spoke with Dr. Uh, Chapik as well. And uh, those areas of the brain are also affected by sleep loss, alcohol consumption, and sleep apnea. So it's literally like pouring acid on those brain regions of the brain. Every time you're asleep and you have sleep apnea that's untreated, those areas are slowly dying off. Now there's also something called central sleep apnea, pretty common people who've had concussions. And that's where certain areas of the brain get damaged, Nick. And so it's really hard for the brain to regulate someone's breathing while asleep. Central sleep apnea, meaning central, the brain is central. So that's why they named it that. So it could be any of those. And snoring is not a mandatory feature or symptom of sleep apnea. If you have central sleep apnea, you may not snore. No kidding. So how can, how can you identify it? Okay, so an in-lab sleep study is the best way to identify it. I'm not a fan of the home sleep studies. I know insurance companies love having anyone who is screening positive for sleep apnea screen to, to go get a home sleep study. But I like the in-lab sleep studies because they have little sensors in your eyes to look at eye movement, to look at rapid eye movement sleep and non-rapid eye movement sleep. They have sensors on the skull to look at brain waves to know what stage of sleep you are in. And so a couple of belts are present on the chest and, and belly as well, a little oxygen sensor on your finger, a little microphone to listen to snoring and an infrared video camera in the sleep lab. Now it sounds super high tech, but it's common. Any, any reasonable sleep lab will have all right. of this stuff. It's called a polysomnogram. And all you're supposed to do is sleep, okay? It's really simple, it's super comfy rooms, I've never seen any, any issues with the, with the comfort, super comfortable. You just sleep, they monitor all the parameters, and when you wake up in the morning, they say congratulations. Well, you have sleep apnea, or you don't have sleep apnea. <laughs> <laughs> you take from those sleep labs where you've got all this stuff hooked up to you, you're not in your own bed, do you knock a certain percentage off of, say if they score poorly, do you boost them up a little bit and say, maybe if you're at home, you would have slept better? Or do you say, hey, you're, you're just getting poor sleep. You're, you're at risk. Yeah, so um, I, if someone has restless leg syndrome, it's a clinical diagnosis. If someone has insomnia, it's a clinical diagnosis. They don't need a, a fancy sleep study. Right. But if I'm concerned about nighttime seizures and 30% of people who have seizures in their sleep don't even have the physical shaking, but they may have other weird symptoms like waking up in the middle of the night, sleep talking, sleep walking. Um, if I'm concerned about sleep apnea for sure, any of those weird things, acting out someone's dreams, it's another disorder. Any of those things, I want an in-lab sleep study. Yeah. Yeah, and that makes sense. Now, I know a lot of high performers are wearing fitness trackers, Fitbit or Ring, Whoop Band. I was tracking mine really extensively for like, probably six months. I mean, I'd been wearing the Fitbit for years and then I got the whoop band and I was like really getting into it. And then as I felt, I got kind of a good handle on things and the numbers were kind of flattening out, I guess, plateauing a little bit. And I was getting restorative rest. I felt good throughout the day and everything. I've taken the trackers off. 
do you like them? Are they reliable? I mean, I, I ended up kind of putting it down, I guess, more or less, because it was like, I was getting so married to this daggone number that I was waking up with. And it was like, oh, good, 88. I'm going to have a great day. And it's like, no, I'm going to have a great day regardless. Or I was like, no, this can't be right because I feel great when I was waking up. I guess the question is, do you like sleep trackers? How reliable are they? And if you do like them, do you recommend any to your patients? The short answer is I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. And, and why not? Okay, yeah, so that's a great follow-up question. Sleep trackers are notoriously unreliable. Okay. Uh, they've actually had to change the wording while advertising in terms of accuracy because they were not meeting a legal threshold. Okay. Give an example, a couple of years ago, there was a study done on the top 10 sleep trackers because some of the sleep trackers could also claim that they could detect dream sleep, non-dream sleep, deep sleep, and as I just explained to you, in a sleep lab, you need sensors on the eyes. You need sensors monitoring your, your muscle twitches and movements. You need sensors in your scalp to know what phase of sleep you are in and combine all that data to determine if someone is in dream sleep or non-dream sleep. So really, can a fitness tracker diagnose <laughs> or, or predict when you're in deep sleep or dream sleep accurately? I think not. And that study kind of demonstrated that. It said that they were accurate in... Um, detecting dream versus non-dream sleep three out of 10 times. Oh, geez. That's the worst than flipping a coin. So I always tell my patients, if you have a tracker, you already spent the money, it's yours now. When you're working with me, I want you to wake up in the morning and fill out a good old-fashioned sleep diary, which tells you, you, you have to estimate it. In what time do I think I went to the bedroom, what time did I switch up the light? What time did I fall asleep? What time do I think I woke up in the middle of the night? How long did it take me to fall back asleep? There was any major supplements I took before that or after that? And what time did I wake up in the morning? It's an estimation. And then they can look at the sleep tracker and say, oh, okay, well, that, that shows pretty much that's the way I slept. Forget about the deep uh, and dream sleep. I really don't care about that. But don't go to the fitness trackers, estimate, what you thought first thing in the morning. I don't want you looking at the clock, right? Then that's a, such a good point you brought, brought up, Nick, because athletes want to control for every single variable. You want to do your best. You want to get things done. And when it comes to sleep, you've got to allow yourself to fall asleep. The harder you try, the more wakeful your brain will become. <laughs> Weird way what a catch-22. Yeah, it is a catch-22. And then you're going to start looking at it as a challenge. Oh, okay, let me try harder. Let me look at the clock. Let me do this and that. Let me try listening to this Headspace app on my phone right now in bed. No, it's about actually dis disconnecting yourself from wakeful activities while in bed. Otherwise, inadvertently, you're training your brain to associate the bed with wakefulness, with working towards something. And the way I think about sleep is not the absence, insomnia is not the absence of sleep, but an excessive wakefulness of the brain. Gotcha. So that, that's where I am with that. And when it comes to the sleep trackers, as I said, you can always associate them, like match what you've seen on the sleep tracking information to your sleep diaries. 
but I'm not a fan of the Whoop either. I know a lot of people are using Whoop. I don't have any affiliation with any sleep tracking companies. So I can, I'm free to express my own opinions there. Good. And I gladly will because heart rate variability is really what, what Whoop takes into consideration. Yes. Right? It corresponds to the heart rate variability basically is the adaptation of the heart to any stimulus. And a high heart rate variability is a sign that the heart is healthy since it has more flexibility to react to any stress. It might be environmental, physiological. And so it basically looks at how your nervous systems are competing with one another. And they talk about resource allocation, higher HRV is good, lower HRV is bad. And it takes a couple of days to get a baseline heart rate variability. Right. But think about this. If you are chronically sleep deprived, like say you're getting eight hours of sleep, but your brain needs 12 hours of sleep or you're stressed or if you drink some alcohol, it will then consider a low HRV as your baseline. Right. Then they also claim that they measure HRV in deep sleep or non-dream sleep. But how can they accurately determine dream versus non-dream sleep? I just told you that. Well, three out of 10 times. They're they're all over it. (laughs) Right. And I can go on and on about that stuff. So I just tell my patients, you know, save your money, use it uh, to to get a good massage or treat your wife out to a nice dinner or whatever. Um, Not a fan of those trackers. Gotcha. I I thought, you know, when when you're talking about HRV and being able to adapt to different stressors and all that, it it just reminded me in the book about how critical sleep is to being able to emotionally handle a lot of inputs or physically handle a lot of stress. And I see it, and it's most obvious to me, a lot of these things with sleep that we talk about are most obvious to me in kids. And I've got an eight-year-old boy and a six-year-old boy, and they sure are affected by their sleep quality. And if they went to bed late and they woke up early and they've got the look in their eye, we know we're in for a really long day. And one of them gets super mad and angry and kind of lashes out. The other one gets really sensitive and really emotional at every little stressor. And kids are just kind of amplified because they haven't been able yet to learn all the coping mechanisms that adults have learned over the years. But it's the same thing, right? It's like your poor sleep, if you're not getting it right, your ability to be out on the field or the court or wherever you're at and process the data and work as a team and communicate effectively and problem solve and handle stress without lashing out or getting emotional or feeling like it's a personal attack on you. Like all of those things come back to the sleep. I completely agree. And kids, I mean, I I feel so sad for kids because (laughs) I know. It's like their rational brain, the front, the front part of their brain hasn't developed yet, right? But their emotional yes. brain is almost fully developed. So they have all the emotions and very little rational thinking. Uh, it's like a teenager's brain in a way when you're sleep deprived or you're jet lagged. I'm sure you know what that feels like. Of course, you're oh, going to yeah. be critical and frustrated. You're going to be snapping at everybody. You're not going to want to to look at plays or replays or strategize. You don't want to do anything, anything remotely meaningful if you're sleep deprived or jet lagged and it's amplified even more so in kids but not only that like why is it really important is is that your stress hormones will be surging through your body 
if you haven't had enough sleep. What does that do? Well, it increases inflammation. It lowers your stress tolerance. It lowers your mental resilience. It increases your frustration levels. Your emotional brain will take control. Your testosterone levels will drop. Your growth hormone levels will drop. You will feel hungrier. You'll want to stress eat. You'll go to the carbs and the sugars. It'll cause a sugar high, then a sugar crash. Then your stress hormones will be released to deal with the sugar crash, which will lead to more stress eating, more fluctuations in your mood. And your rational brain shuts down with sleep loss. Your frontal lobes help you with not just rational thinking, but suppressing impulses, concentration, reaction times, executive functioning, task organization, planning, multitasking, motivation, drive, social connectedness. And the sides of your brain, the temporal lobes also shut down and they're responsible for new learnings, memory consolidation. How are you going to remember the plays that you practiced? And also emotional stability. Your emotional pendulum will swing wide if you haven't had good restful sleep. And when I say good sleep, I mean both the quantity and the quality as we've been discussing. You mentioned the stress hormones, and there's a part in the book where you talk about cortisol and kind of how that disrupts sleep. And I guess the, the part that I'm super interested in, because this was always very challenging, was coming down after the big game. And still, like I'm coaching high school football here, still after the game, there's still a part of you that gets that adrenaline release and feels really good about the whole thing. And then you can't sleep. You can't come down. How can we, what can we take? What can we do? How can we help mitigate the stress hormones so we can get more restful sleep, albeit maybe a little bit short in sleep, just kind of due to the time constraints of the game and when that happens? Yes. So they've estimated across sport that an average elite athlete loses out on more than two hours of sleep the night before a big game. Now imagine what that's going to do to your performance. So you've actually, it's actually prevented people from breaking records and, and maximizing their human potential. So what I advise my athletes to do is, is the following. If you had a night game, you know you're going to be buzzing. You know the adrenaline is going to be going. And it's a competition for the most part, between melatonin and, and adrenaline and cortisol. So I immediately, as soon as the game is done, you can't switch your brain on and off like a light bulb. People try and do that with heavy doses of melatonin, Ambien, just really bad medicines. But I say, okay, we need to take your brain down as, as quickly and as efficiently as possible, but not to knock you out because you'll wake up feeling like you've been hit by a truck. You're going to have that hangover effect. Yes. So immediately after a game, cool down, whatever else you have to do, but then listen to some nice calming meditating music. So music, anything calming or anything that, that brings you back to all of us, hopefully have good memories in the past when we were kids or teenagers, or maybe a favorite song or movie that took us to a very calm, peaceful place in life. That can be your go-to. Uh, certain athletes of mine, before a game, they have certain music or, or themes to bump them up, get into the zone. But also, there, there are certain things that can trigger your calming down, whether it's listening to a meditation app, whether it's listening to binaural beats, 
or whether it's listening to or watching a, your favorite movie. Don't watch it, listen to it on your headphones. Have dark sunglasses on throughout okay. because it's gonna help allow your melatonin to slowly increase. Don't do anything stressful, don't look at your emails, don't, don't look at next day's assignments. Focus on calming your brain down as quickly as possible through sunglasses, calming music or meditation, maybe a warm shower, maybe some light yoga stretches. GABA, GABA is a really helpful supplement to help calm the nervous system down. Chamomile tea is another good one. L-theanine, 100 or 200 milligrams. Um, all those things can help calm the brain down quickly and efficiently. And you know, you can play around with these things. Some people like doing the breathing exercises like the four, seven, eight breathing routine. I can actually cause your heart rate variability. I, you can be sleep deprived and I can have you do that breathing technique and your heart rate variability will, will be nice and healthy. And so there's another, um, there, there's lots of pitfalls with, with doing those, yes. those measures. But if you can do the breathing techniques, have you heard of the four, seven, eight breathing technique? Is it four in, hold for seven, eight yeah. out? Okay. So that can help calm the nervous system down as well. Also counting backwards, um, subtracting three from the number 100 can help get your mind off things. And only going to the bed when you are feeling sleepy. So whichever of those works for somebody, whether it's a sauna or a warm shower, and then um, meditation exercise or progressive relaxation or breathing, the sunglasses for sure, when you find something that clicks, that works for you, and you say, oh, whoa, instead of being up till three in the morning, I'm feeling nice and relaxed and sleepy at 12 a.m. Good. That's your winning combination. Stick to it. Practice makes perfect. Good. Uh, lastly, you know, I have so many questions for you, but I know you've got limited time and I really want people to get this book. So it's not like I'm trying to get all the information out of the book. I think the, the book is just Tremendous. And I'll, I'll tell you real quick what I love so much about it. It's kind of done in the Gladwellian style, like where you present the science, there's the anecdote to tie the science in. So you remember everything. So it's easy to take the information and then to put it to use. And then one of the best parts for me is like, you save all the good stuff really for the end, like chapters 12, 13, once we get up into the different stages of your pyramid, that's what I think the gold is. And I, I think, you know, that's coming down from the big game is one of them because everyone, I think a lot of people know what they should and shouldn't do going into bed at night. And, but I think you've got some very unique takes at the end of how to come down from those type of performances, what supplements help. I think those are really critical. One thing that I I'm always been curious about is our, trainers and doctors the night before a game, you could line up at the team meal and go get an Ambien. And I always thought, well, that, I, I don't know how effective that is because every time I took an Ambien, I felt like I wasn't getting great sleep. I'd wake up kind of groggy and it would took me a long time to get started the next day. And if, and that was even if I felt like I could get all the way awake, what, what happens with sleep medication, I guess a lot of people would just like to know this anyway, because I know people, military guys are taking probably too much Ambien and gals and regular folks, gen pop, are 
also taking medication to get some sleep. What happens to the sleep on the medications? And is it safe for short term, long term? Like, how does that all affect our performance? Well, it will affect your performance because, first of all, Ambien, although it's not considered the benzodiazepine, uh, clonopin or valium, can, can still be addictive. And okay. a lot of people don't know this. They say, oh, just take some Ambien. But what essentially you're doing is, is that your, your brain could become addicted. I've had a few patients who have become addicted to Ambien, and it's really, really difficult getting off it. And there's other groups of people who try these medications once in a while when they need it, but then they're inducing that jet lag phenomenon in them because some nights they're taking it, some nights they're not. Some, some nights they're taking it later on at night, some nights they're not. So those things are, are big problems. Also, these sleep medications are not supposed to be taken in the long term. They're supposed to be taken for the short term in cases of increased stress or increased insomnia while you're engaging in other treatments like supplements, like healthy behavioral strategies, sleep environment, all those things are crucial. And then you can kind of get off those, those medications in a meaningful way. But you need to know what you're doing. And an easy fix is not the right fix. Right. That's where the danger is. Ever. Ever, right? And like a lot of almost for Almost universally for anything in life, the easy fix is not the right fix. You said it. I couldn't agree with you more. So yeah, what does Ambien do? Well, it selectively decreases dream sleep. So you might feel like you slept, but then that restorative sleep, the, the memory consolidating sleep is actually decreased. And, and your, your acetylcholine, the, the neurotransmitter that's responsible for memory, uh, may also be affected. So it's not a good medication. These are dirty medications. It's that kind of carpet bombing rather than having a precision strike. Gotcha. I'm not a fan of any of those medications when it comes to taking them as you want them, whenever you want them, maybe a higher dose this time. Maybe uh, you wake up feeling really bad. Maybe you don't feel really bad the next day. So you feel this is a great strategy. Let me just keep taking it. It's going to affect your performance. It's going to affect your brain in the long term. Hey guys, I want to give a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay, whether rear dead stock or the latest release, you can find the exact shoe you're looking for. You can find anything you're looking for at eBay. Really. I find all of my technical equipment there for the podcast, a lot of workout equipment, but as the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing with eBay's authenticity guarantee. Your sneakers are meticulously inspected by the independent professional authenticators, a team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity and it protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, if you're a seller, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers $100 and up, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. That's eBay. One more. I, I've got one more because I thought this was really interesting in the book. And it's kind of counter to what a lot of people are doing now. I mean, you, you know, I mean, so many people are going high fat diet, the keto, keto diet. It's like they want to get to a healthy body weight. And I'm an advocate for anybody to get to a healthy body weight get there and then figure out how to be best. But you mentioned in the book that 
high fat diets decrease sleep performance. How does that work? Because that, that's super fascinating. And, and one thing that I do, admittedly, I used to when I was a, a player to keep my weight up, I would eat Ben and Jerry's, like a pint of Ben and Jerry's every night. It's not recommended for uh, athletic performance or sleep performance or any of that, but it, it kept my weight on. And so I kind of had to, had to do something to get a quick, it, it was like 1400 calories per pint, not recommended. I've since replaced that with like, two tablespoons of peanut butter and a sprinkle of nuts and some casein protein at night. So it's like, it's a little, it's healthier. It's not just because it's lower in calories, but I know I need to stop and tell me why the fat, the high fat diet in particular disrupts our sleep. Well, it's just that it won't help you sleep. Um, for example, um, when you have a high fat, fat diet, the ketogenic diet is called the ketogenic diet because because of the breakdown of, of, and release of, of ketone bodies by, by the metabolic breakdown of fat that results in you having the ketone bodies which supply fuel to the brain. The other way that the brain is fueled up is by glucose, by sugar. Ketone bodies are great. The ketogenic diet is great for a lot of good reasons, but it's not going to help you sleep. Why does sugar, why do carbs actually a heavy carb meal? So that's one of the strategies I, I use with my athletes. If I know that somebody is a kind of athlete who is not going to sleep well at night before a big game, I actually have them have a high carb meal at dinner time before that big game the next day. Because carbs essentially get converted to sugar and they help actually calm the frontal lobes down. So the frontal part of the brain, as I mentioned, helps you with concentration, executive functioning, motivation, drive, dopamine, energy levels. That's why when we have a big carb meal or pasta, pizza, rice, you feel kind of, you know, just relax, right? You feel really calm. You want to, you can take a nap in the afternoon. So that's where the benefits are for a high carb meal at night. So what you were doing with the ice cream was probably your way of calming your brain down to help you sleep better. Oh, there we go. I'll, t I'll take that as an excuse. It drove my <laughs> you needed to keep the weight on and hey, it, I'm sure it helped calm your brain down. That was, why do you think we, we go to, to um, sugar, carbs, donuts, to stress eat, right? It's the yeah. same reason, because it calms the busy brain down. It calms right. your stress down only because your rational brain, your frontal lobes, your, your busy brain kind of calms down. And when we've looked at studies between cocaine and sugar, sugar is more addictive than cocaine. So it helps calm you down. And if your brain is busy, if you're in danger mode, if you're anticipating stuff the next day, your brain won't get into the place of relaxation it needs to sleep. So that is why a carb-rich meal is, is beneficial for sleep at night. And I'd say not, not every day, obviously, but just you know, stressful times before big games. Okay. And how long before sleep? At least, um, well, more than three hours before your desired bedtime. Okay. Gotcha. Dr. Criado, that was wonderful. Super insightful. I'm strongly urging everybody to go out and get the book peak sleep performance. You can see it right over his shoulder. If you got the video, the cutting edge sleep science that will guarantee a competitive advantage. Where can people learn more? Where can people follow you? And where can they get the book? Yeah, they can get the book on Amazon or Kindle. 
Um, there's two forms available there. I always post stuff on my Instagram. I just started it just a couple of months ago. It's called Peak Sleep Performance, my Instagram. And if people want to work with me, I'm talking to a few organizations as well about sleep optimization, work optimization, performance across the board between patients and companies. Anyone wants to contact me individually for any of this kind of stuff, my website is shanecreato.com. Or they can just DM me on Instagram. That works too. Awesome. Dr. Criado, that was fabulous. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Nick. So glad, so honored that, that you had me on today. I uh, remember the sleep weapon is free. It's yours. It needs to be honed, fine-tuned, and wielded carefully and precisely. And you can improve every aspect of your existence. Thank you so much. Thank you, Doc. Have a great one. You too.